Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. I think we can echo these words. We need you more, and that's what we are doing. That's why we have come. Because we're telling the Lord that we need Him more than ever before. I want to take this opportunity to thank the choir at 7 a.m. and the 10.30 a.m. service. An awesome worship, so transparent people. The dancers, amazing. I love them and their expression, bringing us closer. And I like them when they cast the crown at the feet of the Lord. It is amazing. And that's what I'm going to talk about this morning, but let's just go to the presence of the Lord and bring everything and lay down our power and position and everything God has given back to Him. Glory and honor and praise and majesty is yours. And we come to you, our Father, to say thank you, thank you, thank you. The blessings we enjoy, the grace we enjoy, the health we enjoy, the position we enjoy, they come from you, God. And you can take it any time, but we just want to give you praise. We thank you, God, that our boast is not in the things, not in the blessings, not in the gifts, not in the fruits, but it's in you, the blesser, the giver of all good things. We've come again to praise you for all that you have done and for all that you are. And thank you for Jesus, our Lord, as we lift up his name and glorify his name. Thank you for your people today and bless each one here. And those that are watching that day together with us would be blessed, would be touched, that the name of Jesus would bring healing and strength and grace. And we'd be careful to give you honor and glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. God's people said, Amen and Amen. Give the Lord a clap offering. Just as Pastor Valerie mentioned, my message is the battle of the throne. What I want to do today and the next uh, two Sundays, because this is very important, is simply to focus not simply on heaven and the battle of the throne, but so to speak, what does that employ to us? It simply means there's a battle of the throne of God, even our heart, and whether we would allow God and willingly, with our own volition, always will do, will, will, to have him as the one on our throne and to give worship and praise to him. What I want to just talk about this morning is something very important, and this is from this passage from the book of Isaiah, chapter 14 and verse 13. These are the words of Lucifer. He says, I will exalt my throne about the stars of God. I'm going to exalt my throne. And verse 14, towards the end, it says that I will be like him. I will be like the Most High. In other words, I'm going to dethrone God. That's so foolish. To dethrone God, and I'm going to put myself on that throne. Now, I want you to understand the battle of the throne that took place yawns and yawns of years before the creation or what would be before earth was inhabited. There was the angels and the orders of the angels, and there was praise and worship, but in the midst of it all, 
there was this one winged cherubim that brings in a rebellion, that brings a sense of uh, season that wants to divide. And you find that his name Lucifer turns to Satan, and he does the same thing when he was thrown into the earth and after the first man and woman was put. What I want you to understand in the book of Revelation, chapter 12 and verse 7, John is recording this, and there was war in heaven. War in heaven that continues until ultimately the powers of the enemy would totally, completely be vanquished and be cast into hell. But he says, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and they were not able to prevail uh, against Michael and his angels. There was war in heaven, and you come to that place of that serene beauty and tranquility, of everything that is pure and everything that is pristine, and suddenly, selfishness. Suddenly there's a sense of one who says, I magnify my throne, my position, my power, forgetting it is the one who sits on the throne who gave him the power and his prestige and his position. But I want to be like the most high. I will exalt my throne. Every one of us are given a throne, the throne of our hearts given some semblance of whether it be honor and wisdom and grace and health and strength or beauty, with all the gifts and talents. And what we need to do that I want to end in this first part of this message is that we bring it to our God who given us and lay it at his feet. There was war in heaven. And it begins by a winged cherubim. There are many orders of angels. I'm not teaching on that today. But there is, of course, the archangels. And two of them are mentioned. Michael, the one that is the commander-in-chief. And there is Gabriel, the messenger-in-chief. These two are the most important. But on par with them is a cherubim, the winged cherubim. No smaller and it was his function to guard and to cover and to surround the very power and the presence and the Shekinah glory of God. He was luminous, he was intelligent, he was beautiful. And what you find, the name Lucifer that he had simply means daystar. It simply means from Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 13, the sun of the morning. He was a luminous light and he became darkness. He was many multifactored and gifted in areas of wisdom and beauty and power and eloquence and music. But you find in the midst of all of this, he chose what would be will. Now, I know many of us look outwardly and judge outwardly. I'm not condoning that it is wrong to do things in the flesh, but it is nothing compared to something that none of us would see. 
And I want you to understand, though we may be judgmental on the outside and talk and rave about people and simply basically pull them down, God looks inside. Lucifer had no sexual problem. He had no outward manifestations or what you would call something that is evil on the outward. It was all inward. Well, not even like a titanic, at least 10% on the outside you could see a 90% evil. It was nothing there outside. Everything was within. If you turn into this passage in Exodus chapter 28 and verse 15, you are perfect in all your ways until iniquity was found within you. Until iniquity was found within you. Eloquent, beautiful, gifted, powerful, positionally very high. Until deep within iniquity was found in you. And what iniquity? Homosexuality, sodomism, or extramarital. No, none of that. None of the things that we would condemn. In fact, pride. You could be right in the middle of doing things for God and yet a heart filled with pride. Have a great reputation because there's not outwardly evil but within pride. That is what destroyed Lucifer. I wanted to want us to know that there's so much passages about him and I'm not talking a study of demonology. But two books I just want to take passages from, two chapters, to be able to finish to where I would lead to in the third session. But it is to do with the book of Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 to verse 16, and Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12, all the way to verse 18. There in the book of Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12, Towards the end, here is God saying, you did weaken the nations. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Fallen? And not only did he fall, but after the earth was populated with Adam and Eve, he was so jealous because he never, even though he was the closest to God, never had that intimacy with the Creator. And so he comes in as a spoiler and use a serpent. Remember, the serpent is not to be blamed, but he was basically the vessel that Satan entered. In those days, before the fall, there was animals that could talk. You might be far-fetched, but that's what it is. And it was not something, oh my God, this serpent speaks to me. That is not what Eve, she was not frightened. It was natural at that point. But this person that comes in is such a scheming, slimy person that literally use it to speak and bring in, as God said so, questioning God. In other words, you are missing so much and God doesn't want you to have it. That was his complaint. You shall be like gods. And so doing brought rebellion to this earth. But that pristine garden of Eden suddenly was iniquity 
the same as it was with him, transport or contagious comes to Adam and Eve. And the fallen Adam comes from way years of years before creation of man. How art thou fallen? It fell in heaven. Let me tell you, it had so much to do with will. There's something we need to know about God that he's made us in his image. He doesn't use us a robotic, yes, sir, what can I do for your will is my will. I've always had a problem. Maybe I ask God in heaven, but I know what he will say. He's given us and he's made us free moral agents. We can choose to obey, will to do his will, or choose not to obey and will not to do his will. The onus is on us. And these angels were not forced to. They will to will to do God. Or they could have willed not to. And Lucifer chose one day because of pride. And there are five things he says, I will. Not negative, I will. It all has to do with self. And I will talk about ourselves. The number one problem who wants to be on the throne. We talk about heaven and rebellion in heaven and battle in heaven, but deep within the world of our own heart, there is a rebellion. Who sits on the throne? Is it God or is it self? We know enough to not to have Satan on and he doesn't because he knows we know that much at least. But he will push self, pamper self, powder self, and put self. It's as good as putting Satan there. He's won the battle. But let's begin all the way. The will not to obey God and will to do his will. The five I will is found in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13 to 14. Three of them in verse 13, the last two in verse 14. I will descend unto heaven. Number one, I will. I'm going to reach up on my own. Number two, I will exalt. I will magnify my throne. We all have a throne. I'll talk about it. But for Lucifer, he came to a point when he said, I'm not going to exalt him. That is my call. That is where God placed me. A one army band all within me. But I'm going to blow my own trumpets. I'm going to magnify myself. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Number three, I will sit upon the mound of the congregation. The mound of congregation facing everyone is towards the mound of, trans of congregation where God sits and receives glory. I want that glory. I want that honor. And number four, I will ascend above the heights of God's glory and cloud. And number five, I will be like God. I'm equal with God. Have you heard the, the theosophy? I am God. I am part of the God. 
I am part of the garden. It's crept into evangelical Pentecostal churches. I am a God. There's nothing more damnable than that statement. No matter how much God raises up, we are creations of that creator, called to be the highest, to give glory and honor to the creator. And I want you to understand, never for a moment will we ever be part of the garden or God. That's a blasphemy. But here are these five statements that he has issued. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will be like God. I will magnify my throne above the stars of heaven. So here begins the story of this one creator, a creation. Many people tend to think Satan as the dark side of God. My friend, he's a created being. All that he has comes from God, whether his might or his power or wisdom or beauty. But it comes from God. And no way equal to God, he does. And he has to bend his knee to Jesus ultimately. But I want you to understand at no time is he given power over God. And I want you to know at no time does God even go to fight with Satan. It's just not fair for the creator to fight with his creation. What you find is Michael, and what you find the angels, but you're going to find something remarkable, that God basically could have destroyed him long ago when Jesus died on the cross, but he let it be, and he still is the God of this world, the Prince of Darkness. You can read that in John 14, 30, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, and 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 4. But I want us to go into Ezekiel chapter 28 just to get a little important thing about this. It's his do with the, his plan, his desire to dethrone God, what he thought. And right there in verse 12, towards the end, it is, Son of man, take a lamentation on the king of Titus and say unto him, You seal up the sun full of wisdom and power and beauty. What he talks about is he's full of wisdom, he's full of perfection, and he is beautiful. So that's the way he was created by God. Have you seen people talented, can write poetry and write songs, write books? And what a trash they write, forgetting God is the one. He could take it away, but he chose not to. I don't know why. And they choose to dishonor God and through that music that Satan at one time was charged, degraded to such a level, sending them into the pit of hell. When you look in verse 13, it says here, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God, way before man was. He was thrown into earth, and there he was in the garden of Eden. And what you find, that pristine place, till he contagious, it becomes contagious with rebellion. And you find every precious stone was your covering that is ornate, that is colorful covering, that he was covered with such beautiful, precious, and what would be likened to stones that are many colored, kaleidoskip, kaleidoskip color. And yet you're going to find there are nine mentioned. When you look in Ezekiel, Exodus chapter 28, reading from verse 17 to 20, 
the stones that was in the heart of the breast of the high priest, there were 12. Here, Lucifer had only nine. Three missing are found in verse 19 of Exodus chapter 28 and verse 19. And those three that you find on the third row was liquor, agate, and amitex, right in the center of the heart. That was missing in Lucifer. He had all the other nine, but right deep in the center of the third row, there was no humility, there was no obedience, and there was no sense of giving God ultimate honor. That was a missing part of this Lucifer. When you go into verse 13, it goes on to say, and the carmichael and gold, these things were to give glory to God, he becomes the one that lets people worship ornate things like gold and would die and kill for gold. They are plenty in, the, in heaven. They're just like, uh, like basically roads. When you look at what it says in verse, towards the end of verse 13, uh, he says, the workmanship of your tablets and of your pipes were prepared to thee in the day of that which was created. He was a one-man marching band, the most beautiful pipe organ, the most beautiful instrument, all in that he was created like unique with such multi-musical as well as worship. That is so amazing. And when he fell, he took that which was worship of dance and worship of music and music that is so beautiful to such depravity. And he still uses that like the Pipe Piper of Hamlin to lead people to hell. Whereas the true worship leads us closer and closer to God. When you turn to verse 14, thou art anointed, cherub, anointed. When you look into what would be earthly, there were few anointed. The prophets and the priests were anointed, and kings were anointed with oil. But here is the cherub. He was anointed. That was how he began. And he goes on to say, the anointed cherub that covered, he was cherub. So you have the seraphims, you have the angels, you have the archangels, you have what would be the cherubims, and that was a unique position in heaven. A cherub that was in terms of position closer, guarding the Shekinah glory, guarding the power in the presence of God's throne. And you find in him a cherub. And you find many instances where the cherubs moved. And in the temple on earth that is fashioned in heaven, like it is in heaven, there are cherubs that surround the mercy seat and the glory and the presence of God. But it says the cherub that covered. It simply means that covered or was the guardian or guarded the very power and the persons and the Shekinah glory of God. You cannot get any closer. So much so when you go down to the, how the temple is defined in details, you're going to find something about the tabernacle and especially the seat of mercy where the where the priest would only come once a year and could not gaze upon it. It was dark except for the little light. 
You're going to find in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 20, and I want you to listen to this, read this, particularly because it says, and the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high. They had wings and they would stretch them on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another towards the mercy seat, shall the faces of the cherubims be. He was the leader, and he was... These cherubims covered the very presence on earth of that earthly tabernacle, a picture of heavenly tabernacle where the cherubims covered, guarded. We're all called in one way or the other to guard, whether it be our call, whether it be our values, or whether it be the things that God has given to us that we treasure and guard or whether it be the word or the pulpit that we guard so it would not be taken out and commercialized. All of this is so important, but here was an angel to guard the power and the presence of God's throne. And it goes on to say, as you go back to Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 14, and it goes on to say, I have set thee, that was how he was set, so you were upon the holy mountain. So think about his power and think about his position. And the rebellion never comes from the lower ranks. As in heaven, so in earth. You never expect a rebellion among small fries, small lesser. You know, there'll be someone who comes out and says, I'm an apostle. I remember last, I remember talking bad against my predecessor, and I don't know where she got this, like a popcorn mission, suddenly become an apostle. No church, no nothing. She named herself apostle. And there are others who wear a doctor and say, I'm reverend, the right reverend. I'm not so much questioning them. They're a little phrase. It's the one that is closer in position, like Lucifer, they could create the big problem. The higher we rise to the presence of God, the greater the temptation may not be in the natural like you see outward. Oh, he's a homosexual. Who is this? No. It is deep within our heart. While we worship God, we could still have pride. While we love God, and I want you to understand this, I'll repeat that later on in the next session. We all love God. We all hate sin. But the problem is we have lost the fear of God. And we've taken casually the power and the presence of God, and then we have replaced God, and only we know it, in our heart, and God is no more on the throne. All of the religiosity is outside, the power, the palm, the position, but what is missing is the throne is replaced by self, and God has been dethroned by good. Christians, by good Pentecostals, by good church people. We're not worried about the world. But I want you to realize, Jesus Cherub, he was in that power, he was in that prestige, he was in that glory, he was in that position. That was upon the holy mountain. Do you understand? It's the mount of God that is holy. I'm not talking about Zion or Zionism in Israel. I'm talking about Zion of God. I'm not talking about Jerusalem here, but I'm talking about the holy Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. And what you're going to find is 
that we will one day be in the mount looking up to looking to the one that sits on the throne with innumerable company of decrees of angels if you read hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22 listen to what the writer of the hebrews says but you that is you and me come unto mount zion and unto the city of the living god the heavenly jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels that is you cannot count them in the worship of the most high god of the one that is seated upon the throne and as we go to chapter 28 and we come to the end of verse 14 and i want you to realize thou has walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire in other words in the proximity to the very power and position near to God. Now, when we get more mature and older, we find our battle is no more with people, no more with the world. Politics don't bother us. All the situations and news we hear doesn't bother us. In fact, we're less concerned about Satan. He's not even the center forward. Really, we are more concerned as we get spiritual, our battle with ourself. That is enemy number one for us because the self that comes in and is the pride and all of the things of the flesh that we have, not so much the outward, but the inward. And this is what is so pride and jealousy and all of this that people don't see is what we ultimately battle that can cause us to slip and fall. Even though we are saved there, we speak in tongues, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're baptized and we have anointment, all of that could be fine. You take a look all across the United States and look at the pulpits, a lot of flesh and self pumping up and always big thing. Chairs are different, the style is different, there's everything about them, it's all about me and me and me and me, although the preaching of the gospel goes forth. When you think about this, all of a sudden from God worship to self-worship, you were perfect until iniquity. And verse 12 and verse 17 says, you lifted yourself. Pride lifted you. It is the sin of the spirit. No, it's not of the flesh, not of the soul, but it's the sin of the spirit. No one could see, but God saw it. Now I want you to realize when you go down to the end, it says, here is why, verse 14 says, you walk down in the midst of the stones of fire. Incidentally, in verse 14 and verse 16, it mentions towards the end, you walked in the fire by the multitude of the merchant and so on said towards the end, I will cast you and so forth from the midst of the stones of fire. There's only two times the stones of fire is mentioned in the whole Bible, just in two. Verse 14, verse 16. And what it implies is the very fire from the Shekinah glory that lighted this, this luminous angel. That glory, the fire that comes from the presence of God. The light that lights the sun and the once the galaxy that lights up the sun and so forth emanates from this one that is fire. God is a consuming fire. 
And what we find is this is so proximity to that fire and still is not thinking about God, is thinking about himself. When you look in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis and verse 24, here's a cherub that escorted Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden with the sword of fire. When you look in the description of the presence of God in 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 9, it is fire that comes forth. In other passages in the psalm, fire and brimstone coming out. That is the very power and the second of glory and the fire that was at night as the children of Israel uh, was canned. All of this speaks of the presence of God. You know, when you think about Isaiah in the presence of God, suddenly he saw the angels crying, holy, holy, holy. And then he said, I'm of unclean lips. And in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, this is not a cherubim, but a seraphim picks up with his hand with the tongs from the altar, coals of fire, that is from the very presence of God. What is so interesting is Ezekiel writes a whole lot about it. If you take Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 13, look at what it says. And as for the likeness of the living creature, their appearance was like the burning coals of fire that basically reflected the glory of God. Now, when you come back to chapter, uh, chapter Isaiah, um, Ezekiel, um, I think it is in chapter 10 and verse 2, Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 2, again you're going to find, he spake and towards the end, scatter all the city. That is the coals between the cherubims. That is the fire that comes from the presence. Or verse 6 again goes on to say, the fire between the wheels of the cherubim. And verse 7 again goes to say, fire that comes out from between the cherubims that goes out. Very interesting. That is amazing. In chapter 11, verse 13, again, you read about the cherubims. And when I prophesied, uh, Ezekiel 11:13. I fell down now. There's one of the things, it's, uh, later on it goes on to say, I think chapter 1 and verse 13, that fire comes from the presence of these cherubim. That is the proximity to the holy fire, the holy presence of God. But what is so interesting is, chapter, verse 15 of chapter 28 of Ezekiel, you are perfect in all your ways. Until, in other words, your perfection became imperfection. Your height became your fall. Your blessing became your curse. And so you find that suddenly iniquity was found in you by the multitude of your merchandise and suddenly everything that he had, whether wisdom or power or might or influence, it all is for money. Excuse me? Everything is for money now. Wisdom, power, strength, influence, all have a price. He was selling everything that belonged to God, that God gifted him with. And he says in verse 17, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. In other words, because of your wisdom, because of your beauty, because of your power, because of your influence, you just got lifted up. Where did it come from? Where did the crown of glory come from? Where did that power and position come from? given to God from him. The power and the glory and the honor all emanates from him, including life and light that we have today. It comes from God. And on one day we will have to stand before God to give an account of what we did with all that he has given to us. 
He is such a long-suffering God, loving us. But one day, all the opportunities will be exhausted, and that would be the end. And we would have to stand before the judgment. I want you to understand, thou, in verse 18, has defiled the sanctuaries in verse 16 and verse 17, I will cast you out. Interesting, though he's cast out, and yet because he's a direct creation, all the angels are, they're not reproduced like man. They're direct creations. There are times when the sons of God appears, and, and in Job chapter 1, from verse 6 to verse 12, Satan also appeared, and what he does is simply accusation and discrediting the people of God. But what is he doing there? Only heaven will let us know. But there are certain things that is a protocol that he has. And when you look at uh, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 2, you're going to find there in the presence of God, he's accusing Joshua and says he's wearing a filthy garment. God takes care of that right away. But how dare he does that? There's a certain protocol, but I want you to understand from Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 18 and verse 17 and verse 16, he was cast out. And what you find is he's thrown out and you find the battle is all about. And what the amazing is what Jesus said as an eyewitness. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 18, he said, I beheld Satan as zoom, lightning fall. He was just thrown into the earth. I beheld that. Jesus was there, the Lord, the Word, before he became flesh, beheld that. So you've come to an expression of all that is taking place in heaven. And there was a battle in heaven of that one who said, I will magnify, I will exalt my throne about the throne of God. I will sit on the seat of the most high mountain, I will be like the most high. A lot of men, a lot of human have that same tendency. It is, comes from Satan himself. I want you to realize something. Lucifer is alive and well in this 21st century. What I'm telling you is not a story. I'm telling you a fact that you see today that the beauty is totally, completely mishmashed. It is the beauty of the more skin they show, the more glorious thing they are. They are not covered by the glory, but all to do with the sex appeal. Wisdom is covered with merchandise. You can have a triple PhD and words that humanly is so profound to the man and the worldly man is smacks of real wisdom and real knowledge. They open their mouth and they're condoning everything else that is contrary to the values of the Bible. That's not wisdom. That is stupidity with a PhD 10 times over. When you look at all the things that takes place, the gifts of God has been merchandised, which would have been the, for the bank benefit of mankind. Pharmacy, it's good. Medicine is good. By the time it gets, it is a money-making racket. And I want you to understand, art is good. By the time it's overdone, they're prostituting it, merchandising it. And you think if that is what it is, 
come into the church is the same thing done in a spiritual way. They call it the Holy Spirit move. Everything is merchandised. And when you look at all of this, you say, what is going on in the world? First, let me just tell you what our Lord Jesus Christ said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, and he simply put, what the devil is. He's come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He's come to wreck lives. He gives you promises, and he will give you the wealth. There are people in the film and music industries that are millionaires and billionaires, but they made a pact with the devil. Like others in the ministry have made a pact to become super rich. And you say, oh my God, how do they get it? It comes from the devil. There's one fact you need to know that Jesus faced the temptation. And this is what the devil said. I'll give you the whole world. He could, if you will bow down and worship me. That's all I need. Just bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. I'm standing here. It's the other way around. Don't try to tempt the Lord God. What I want you to realize, my friend, many succumb to this just to get a pleasure, money. And after death, then comes the judgment. What will you do, my friend? You can enjoy this for a hundred years. One day you're going to die. Even the mess medicine can keep you, maybe, let's put it this way, to the extreme. A hundred and twenty years, you're going to die. And the wages of death is sin. And then after that, the judgment. You have to stand before the judgment seat. And it's billions and trillions of years. And then, when it's merged in eternity, time is eternity. Where will you spend eternity? Think about it. You lived in a mansion. You're having not to pay electric bill. It is fiery furnace. Free. I want you to realize, my friend, he's come to kill, steal. That is what he was in her supper. He steals. He wanted a throne. And he's come to destroy. What you find about him, he's a liar and he's a father of lies. And you see this byproduct called, oh, I was just exaggerating. What are you exaggerating? I've had one million people in my meeting. The whole nation didn't have a million. In parts of Caribbean, I had a million people, but the whole population is just about a few hundred thousand. Oh, it's just an exaggeration. The devil is a liar and is a father of lies. I want you to realize, my friend, the tragedy we face is that the enemy can touch any life, and this is my message. None of us are exempt, not even me, not even the best and the finest of people in the highest position. In fact, the higher you are, the greater the temptation. I'm not talking about flesh so much, but deep down in your spirit, only you and God knows. And he will come. And I want you to understand, I'll repeat this in all the three sessions. God allows us for a reason because our salvation is free. But our reward in heaven, not the accolades here on earth, our real reward in heaven is based on 
how we reacted to everything that was against us. In the crucible of trial, in the crucible of temptation, in the crucible of all that is thrown at us, all the temptation and money and whatever falls upon us, the real spiritual condition of a man is known, not by Sunday morning, but in that crucible of trial and testing, will you succumb? Will you fall? Lucifer fell. He didn't fall because of, of pain. He fell because of pleasure. He fell because of blessing. He fell because he was abundantly blessed. So when you're on the mountaintop, be on guard. When you're in the valley, you are crying out to God, God help me, you want to get near. It's important to realize that is why Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13 tells you, put on the whole armor of God. What do you mean the whole armor of God? Make sure you have the helmet of salvation. Make sure your mind is protected, your ears are protected, your mouth are protected, your eyes are protected. These are the gates by which Satan can tempt you by what you see, what you hear, and what you think. He comes and puts things into our head and we think that is the Holy Spirit. If you do not know the word, I have listened to some folks on television. I say, where did they get this passage? They mixed it here, mixed it there, and voila, they come up with this theory. The devil is good at that. But he's not a Bible preacher. He's a Bible destroyer. What you find is a tragic situation. Is it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against. And then in verse 13, and having done holes, stand. Why? Not only your mind, not only your eye gate, not only your ear gate, your mouth gate, but even the chest, that is the shield, protects your heart. And I will be concluding with this on the third session. Guard your heart. Proverbs 4, 23. Therein lies the issues of life. God, and having done all God, if you have virtue that God gives you, guard it. If you have a ministry, don't prostitute it, guard it. If you are behind the word or a pulpit, guard it. Don't prostitute it. Don't cheapen it by making it about yourself. Make it about God. It's important we emphasize that because the ultimately one day, will be asked, what did you do with what I gave you? And so you find, put on the whole armor of God. And very important, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27, don't give ground to Satan. Don't give place to Satan. Don't give a foothold, not an inch to Satan. Hold on to it. Hold on and stand. Don't give up. But you don't understand, Pastor. Today, people are saying it's legal to do this. It's legal. Don't you give up what God has given you. Stand on what God gives you. But you don't understand. The United States said this is permissible. It may be permissible for the world, but you have the word on you. You will rise or you will fall on what God said, not the 
America or the Senate or the president says what God says. Ultimately, it's between you and God and his word, and you have to give an account. I want you to realize, my friend, this is important because sometimes we give in to desires of our heart that is deep down consciously or unconsciously. Some 32, 35 years ago, I heard this man say to me, I don't know what happened to me. I gave in to this. The devil made me do it. This comes from the most honorable man that I know. It comes from a man with such dignity and a preacher of the word of God. A man that was invited to the pulpit of the Highland Church. A man who gave us alluded scriptures. A man who was profound and a man I still love. But I remember when Pastor Wright went into hospital, the blessed man of God, he called me and said, Subhash, I wanted to go in and pick up Masako and come and meet me right away. And I did so, and I went in, he was in the hospital, tubes around him. And he said, I have to tell you this, I have a fatal disease, a sickness. And our heart gapped and we didn't know what to do. And then he turned to me and Subhash, I wanted to call DGS Dinakaran. I said, yes. He was a man that when we went to India, just they have, he has a great profound respect for him. He had, we had spoken at the university there. And so I said, I will certainly, he said, don't forget, do that to him and don't call anyone else, be careful. So I went in and called him and it was hard to get him. Ultimately I got him and he said, what happened? He was in the midst of a big session going on. And I said, it's uh, Pastor Wright, please. He said, what happened, Mama? What happened, Mama? Papa, what happened? What happened? I'm so sorry to hear that. I'll keep him in prayer. And as I was going to lunch, I said, why don't I call this reverend? He was a good man. Always been a good preacher. Always been our friend. And I picked up the phone and called him. And he said, what? And then he said a word. Do not say this to anyone because there are vultures. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, Subhash, don't say this to anyone. There are vultures. I said, okay. I went to have lunch, came back. Brother Mohan and Brother Brown, they were working at those points. They were looking for me. I said, what, have, what seems to be the problem? He says, Pastor James Wright wants you right away. Call him. I said, sure, though. I did. He said, Subhash, did you call dinner? And I said, yes. And why did you call XYZ? I said, excuse me, why did you call him? I wanted to come right away to my hospital back again. I need to have a word with you. I was on my way to the hospital. I saw this reverend coming out of the hospital. I had no time to wave because I had to meet this uh, pastor right. So I went to him. And he said, you need to learn, Subhash. I told you to call Dinagrin. Why did you call this man? I said, because he's a friend. He said, I don't care about friendship. I care about the heart. I said, what do you mean? He said, did you know he thought I was dying and dead? He came with a piece of paper. And he took my hand and wanted me to sign this paper. And what the paper said, I bequeath on, you, on him the entire soulship and pastorship of the entire church. I said, what? He said, that's what he did. His heart 
was revealed in the crucible of trial. I said, I don't believe this. He said, you've got to believe, Subhash. There's so many things you need to learn. Cut the pulpit. So I came back, and there was Mohan waiting out, and said, Pastor Subhash, we need you right away. I said, what happened? Some gentlemen, gentlemen are here, they're taking measurement the whole place. I said, what? So I went up, they were up there in the office, they were down in the basement, and then I heard him say, I don't want that office upstairs, that sickness, I want somewhere near the office. And I'm saying, excuse me, what is he talking about? And then he tell the men, this is what I want, that our men are standing there, it is this man taking over the whole place. And finally I said, excuse me, sir, and you know, it's just one brown-skinned guy, who cares for him? So I said, excuse me, reverend, this is Subhash Cherian. Oh, he said, oh my God, yes, I spoke to you a few minutes ago. Yes, 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 I just, I said, listen, before you say another word, I just came from Pastor Wright, he's livid. He doesn't want you anywhere near the pulpit. He said, what? I said, I want you to understand this. You told me there are vultures. I only see one vulture. Suddenly he went back and said, what am I doing? What have I done? The devil's made me do it. And he broke down and he told his men, go. And then he looked at me and said, you have no idea, Pastor Subhash. There's such a desire in my heart to be pastor of a large church. That was always my desire. That was always my dream. I call it lust, I said. And that desire in the crucible came up, and I don't know what I was doing. I was acting on what was there for many years. I'm sorry. I said, thank you so much. And he genuinely repented. Genuinely repented. I love him. Pastor Wright came back right to the day of his death. Never had this man on the pulpit. I realized how important it is because I come across this passage in James chapter 1 and verse 15. Listen carefully. In the crucible of fire, in the crucible of temptation, then when lust or the desire conceives, it could be a desire to be the famous actor, the famous singer, it doesn't matter how much I have to compromise. It doesn't matter if I have to sleep with the director or if I have to do whatever he tells me. The desire is greater than the Bible. The desire is not sinful, but when it is put into action and sin when it is finished, it brings forth death. This is so important. There's one thing I'll be talking about, the few things and how we all can fall into it and none of us are about. I'll be talking about in the crucibles of fire, we will be tempted. And the Lord Jesus Christ told us to pray, keep us from temptation, deliver us from evil. But then we have to stand on the ground and resist the evil. Listen to what it says in James chapter 4, and verse 7, verse 6 first, yes, verse 7, he says, okay, let's read, God gives grace, more grace, wherefore he said, God resists the proud, but give grace. Proud, 
How do you know this man? He's got PhD, he's got fluency, he's got a great work, he's got great anointing, he's got a great ministry, but it says God resists the proud, just gives them up, but gives grace to the humble. And then verse 7, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, stand your ground and cast him out. It's one thing to pray, keep us from evil, keep us from temptation, deliverance. But the other thing to stand against the enemy and say, like I said, it's important you understand, I understand this. There are three choices we have. And the devil makes sure the first is never ever put into action. The first three S's, the first S is Savior. Who occupies the throne of your heart? There was a battle. There was a war in heaven. There's a war every day in our hearts. And it is the Savior, it is the Lord. He abides. He's on the throne. Or will we allow him? The enemy knows that as Christians, as believers, we will not make a pact with him and sell our soul to him but we will make compromises, and so he pushes us to put the self. You know, it's God after all. It's not me, but it's God, and it's all along. It's self, self, self. Because Christians know enough not to have Satan, the world will make him the Lord of their throne. But the Christians will not, at least most Christians will not, but Christians all have to combat, have to stand up against the self. We can cast out Satan in the name of Jesus. Satan fears God, and more than we fear, he trembles. That at the name of Jesus, he has to bow down. But you see, my friend, our problem is not the devil. Our problem is we can't cast self out. The self has to be crucified at the cross of Jesus. That is hard. Until we do that, self is the biggest thing. Whether you find on the pulpit or whether you find, I'm so glad I've got gracious people. I'm so glad the choir and the, and the worshipers and the dancers, my God, they're so transparent. You don't come seeing them wearing goggle and thinking it's like a party hall or it's like a nightclub. You don't see that here. You don't see us wearing weird outfit to put attraction to us. And I want you to realize this. For us, it's important that we direct ourselves to the throne of God, the one that sits on the throne. Many a times, I look around and say, my God, my God, this is awesome. Everything is to you. I see this beautiful scene of even the dancers come and put the throne at the feet of Jesus, or an expression of worship. Only one time I had to ask Pastor Val, I have a problem with that lady. She thinks she's in the nightclub. Don't dismiss her. Let her come back refined and better, God-conscious, not self-conscious. Whether we dance, whether we worship the Lord, 
everything, spirit, soul, body, everything reflects to God. Now let me close with this and I'll begin the part two, God willing, next Sunday. I'll be talking about the precious people of God faced in the Bible. Think about it for a moment, my men. No one like David, a man after God's own heart. Then, and even as I speak, a man after God's own heart. You know, when you go to this passage in Second Corinthians, in Second Samuel, chapter twenty-two, he's old. He's about to die. Think about the desire of his heart. 22 and verse 1, David spake unto the Lord the words of the song in the day that the Lord delivered him out of the hand of his enemies, out of the hand of Saul. And he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my rock, in him will I trust. What profound words! What profound praise! A man after God's own heart! Chapter 23. Now there is be, this is after his victory with Saul, now towards the end of his life, now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, the sweet anointed psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake unto me, he that ruleth, the, ruleth men must be just, ruling in the fear of God, and he shall be as light. What profound words of a man about to die. But he jumps out of his croaking bed in chapter 24, and he tells Joab to do something very strange. Just count the people. How many chariots, how many men do we have? David, Job says, and he's not the greatest of all people, but Job was more eloquent in righteousness. You will insert God. Don't count, but the word of David prevailed. The old man was vain in the end. I want to see how many people I have. It is by the might of my people, the chariots and horses I want. God right away in the beginning said, David, do not put your trust in horses and chariots. And David wrote in Psalm 20, some trust in horses, some in chariots, but we will put our trust in the name of the Lord. And look what it says in verse 24. Again, the anger of the Lord kindled against Israel because there was the crucible of death. And David again saying, go number the people of Israel. Why, David? Self, such a great man. What a doting son Absalom was. What a doting son Solomon's was. What a doting son Adojana was. They were pulled down by self. When you look at Peter, I'll be talking about this man. What a fearless man. Walked on water. He was the first to confess in chapter 16 of Matthew, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed art thou, Peter. For the flesh and blood has not revealed, but my Father which is in heaven. And then he says this profound thing, not from God, from Satan. Lord, you should not go to Jerusalem. And you know what Jesus said after blessing him? Get thee behind me, Satan. What? Of the spirit and of the devil. 
Oh, it's compassion. Don't do this. Don't go kill yourself. Get thee behind me, Satan had come in and now using Peter. When you look at Demas, his heart was for God. And then Paul had to rise. Demas has forsaken me for the glittering lights he sold for the city of New York. The glittering of everything that's going on on the world. When you look at Judas, I'll be talking about next Sunday at communion. Jesus sat at the communion. His heart, oh, no one knew his heart was palpating, pulsating. And Jesus said, there's one that's going to betray me. And everyone is saying, you see, people have this fear, what is called, oh, maybe it's I did. No, they didn't do it. There's only one man. And Jesus said, what you have to do Go ahead, do it. Sold for 30 pieces of silver. Merchandise. Willing to sell the Lord. And there are people who will sell Jesus for a fraction of 30 pieces of silver. And they do that today. I want you to understand as I close this most important thing. Let's go back to where we started Two weeks ago, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 2. And I saw the one sat down on the throne. One that sits on the throne. There are praises and worship going on. But I want to welcome you to verse 4. Twenty-four elders on twenty-four seats. Twenty-four powerful people with 24 authority calling the crown. I think they represent the New Te Old and New Testament says, I think they are the closest in proximity, far beyond anyone else, to the Lamb, to the Spirit, and to the one that sits on the throne. When the praises begin, look at their attitude. They're mighty people, the patriarchs and the apostles. The moment the worship starts, they take their crown and they cast it before him. They bow down before him and they too say, holy, holy, holy. They're giving back to God what belongs to God. And church, that is what we do. Our praise, our worship, and our giving. You say, when we go to heaven, our giving stops? No. People bring their tributes. People give their best. And we will be among the priests and the, and the kings that Jesus has made us for the Father to give him the best. And if you do not know how to give it, somebody told me, Pastor, you've got to force people to give. That's how people make money. No. No. No, no. I don't want you to be robotic. It must come from your heart. It was never forced. It must come giving the best. Oh, you know, Pastor, we are not under the law. Yes, we are not under the law. We are over the law. Give the best. Don't be a miser when it comes to God. And then go to a restaurant and give 30 person. Do it by all means. If you can give 30 person, give 100 person to the house of God. You will know what it is to give to God. I want to say a word of prayer as the choir comes. I want to pray for people today.
And I say this with definite intention. The Lord told me, pray for people. And I'm going to pray that God would reach out and touch needs today. Just where you are, there's a desperate situation in your life. It could be your family. It could be your son. It could be your daughter. It could be yourself. It could be a spiritual. It could be solical. It could be emotional. It could be in terms of relationship. It could be in terms of your job. Nothing is too hard for God. But no matter what it is, I want you to stand with that particular need. Not 200, just that one need today. And I'm going to speak the name of Jesus. And I'm going to speak that it shall be done because God loves you. And just where you are, I speak the word in Jesus' name. He's on the throne and he's authority. Every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. And Lord, I believe you. And I, you, I believe that you're able to meet the need. There is nothing greater, no power greater. Powers and principles, things in heaven, under the heaven, all bow down. And we'll confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, you exalted the name of your Son. And Lord, you have given us the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I speak this, O oh God. Gift of the working of miracles in the hearts and lives of people that you do this, what only you can do. Gift of healing that you can heal people, spirit, soul, and body. And with a word of wisdom, Lord God, you touch lives today that are need, mental healing and peace of mind in Jesus' name. That you meet the need of people financially, that you would help them in their family, in their business, and the needs that they're going through. I speak this in the name of Jesus. Lord, we enthrone you, and we say there's only one that's on the throne, giving glory and honor, praise, blessing, wealth, and everything else to you. In the name of Jesus Christ and God's people said, Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.